going on guys welcome back to the channel appreciate you stopping by for another video this is just another critic today we're going over college football week two biggest takeaways if you are here on youtube i definitely appreciate you watching my videos if you're listening on the podcast uh hop over to my youtube and check out the actual video um so you do have something to look at but with that being said as you can see on the screen i am uh, wanting to go over the basically the biggest takeaways that I took from week two. Um, and if I miss any, uh, go ahead and drop a comment here on my YouTube channel um, so I can actually look into, you know, some of the things that you guys are looking at when you're when you're evaluating weeks. Now, with that being said, first thing that I wanted to go ahead and touch on from week two was actually the Wisconsin Badgers. And from their week two performance, I mean, combined with week one, at this point in time, I just don't think Wisconsin looks like a college football playoff team. Um, if you are a Wisconsin Badgers fan, I am planning on making a video going a bit deeper into why I believe um, they're not a college football playoff team just yet. And I'm actually a Badgers fan, have been since about 2004. So trust me, this is no bias. Wisconsin at this point is just not looking like college football playoff team. And I am planning on making a video this week to go into more detail as, as far as why um, I believe this is true. Anyway, moving on, second biggest thing I took away from week two, Kyler Murray. Kyler freaking Murray looks really sharp at Oklahoma. He looks really freaking good out there. Wouldn't be surprised if he starts moving up into the Heisman race. Um, the guy's just making plays. He's making plays, making smart throws, um, and he's just making it look really easy out there. Given they've only played FAU as well as UCLA, two teams that aren't exactly the greatest um, in the college football or the FBS, better to say, Um so we still really haven't seen them face a, a giant test just yet. So I can understand why you may not agree with me just yet, just because of the type of teams they've played. But Kyler Murray, he's just he just looks really sharp, looks really good out there, really comfortable, and he can do it both. He can make plays with his feet if he needs to, and he can he can he has a freaking arm. The kid has a cannon. Um, but yeah. With that being said, let's go ahead and take a look at the third biggest takeaway I took from week two, and that is Wimbush over at Notre Dame. The uh, His throwing struggles, man, they continue. They continue into this season. And if you saw him, if you watched him last year, he wasn't exactly the greatest of throwers, you know, last season. Um... I actually went ahead and took a look at some of his st statistics. He had about 16 uh, throwing touchdowns and six interceptions. This year, he's sitting on one touchdown and four interceptions. So he, he had six interceptions total last year. He's already up to four. And I do think that number is going to continue to grow. He just doesn't look comfortable throwing the ball. He's, he's kind of in a way... Um, if, you're, if I'm going to compare him to anyone, Jalen Hurts. They're a run-first type of quarterback. And any team that's smart 
they're going to try and, and force Wimbush to throw. And what happened was I, I believe Michigan was trying to do that, but the their blitz schemes just set him up for basically the way they were blitzing him. They were leaving holes open for him to run through. And when those blitz came, the numbers – he just he just had so much open space to run through, and given he was making some plays with his feet, getting around those Michigan defenders, um, breaking tackles here and there, but you know, I think this is going to continue to be an issue. I think this is one of the big reasons why they won't be in the college football playoff because they will end up losing a game this season, which in which where Wimbush is not going to be able to make the throws needed in order for them to advance in that in that game. Um, and we might see the possibility of Brian Kelly bringing in a backup that can throw because I'm sure this is something that Brian Kelly's already seen, but because Wimbush is getting them by, he's going to continue to use him and use his skill set. Uh, with that being said, Notre Dame does look like a pretty good team defensively, um, and offensively outside of Wimbush. Their run game looks to be, uh, pretty decent. And they've, they've actually reloaded at the O-line position better than I thought they would. Uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and move on to the fourth biggest takeaway I went ahead and took from week two. And that was actually Nebraska, the Cornhuskers. Uh, I personally believe they look they already look better. Uh, better This team this year <laughs> looks better than last year's team with Scott Frost as their head coach. I like what he's doing. Um, of course, in the past, they have had dual threat quarterbacks, but I just don't think they've had the correct, uh, or the right offensive schemes that to, to fit that player. Um, if you watched the game or, or looked at some of the highlights, obviously he's starting a freshman quarterback in Adrian Martinez, who is very athletic. He looks to have a pretty good arm, but um, yeah. I, I believe Nebraska is going to have a better season. Uh, it's either going to be the same season as last year or just slightly better record-wise. But I do think Scott Frost is on track to uh, to bringing this team back up to a competitive, uh, competitive team that they need to be, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, but with that being said, yeah, I think, I think basically Nebraska, they're looking much better. I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, go over 500 this year. But, yeah, let's take a look at the fifth takeaway of the week, and that was Clemson. Clemson, last week, if you watched my takeaways from week one, uh, it was basically Clemson as well. Pretty much their offense wasn't – I didn't feel like they have a decisive quarterback with uh, – Kelly Bryant, I just we're just not sure that he he's able to make the throws that Trevor Lawrence can make. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a freshman, so they're gonna need to um, slowly, slowly you know get him into that rhythm, get him into the game to build up his confidence, and then eventually, I personally believe Trevor Lawrence is gonna go ahead and take the starting position at Clemson. But at this point, they're giving both quarterbacks reps. Um, but yeah, my takeaway in week two was. Clemson does not look as unbeatable as we think on paper because, as we already know, they've got the four dominant uh, NFL draft picks on the defensive line just 
you know, destroying, eating everything in their way and running through walls. Um, other than that, I feel like their offense is still just – they're still trying to figure figure things out offensively. Um, they're still giving both guys reps. And obviously they're still leaning towards Kelly Bryant for the starting position. Um, but, hey, give credit to Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Uh, they've got they've got a guy that can make plays at the quarterback position, but Clemson man they gave up 400 plus passing yards to this guy three touchdowns through through the air, but 400 yards passing that's just not something that's usual for Clemson, and what what I saw in that game was just pretty good tempo by Texas A&M, um, and personally before the season started that was my thoughts as far as Clemson goes. Um, having the opportunity to beat them would require a dual threat QB that's able to not necessarily, you know, run to make first downs, but just being able to make plays, uh, create openings with his feet. And that's exactly what Texas A&M quarterback did. He was able to, uh, you know, do his best to stay out of hands reach of those big boys. And he made plays when he saw him. Um, other than that, um, personally, I believe if you're going to beat Clemson, you've got to have a pretty good tempo going so you can do your best in tiring out those big boys up front, um, get them rotating their subs in. But as you know, I mean, Clemson, they're just so deep at that position. So typically you're going to see some four to five star uh, substitutes coming in to replace those uh, fatal four up front. But with that being said, um, yeah, simple as that. Clemson just I just don't think they're as unbeatable as we think at this point in the season. Obviously, they're going to continue to get better as the season moves along, uh, typically with every everyone else. Um, yeah, let's take a look at what we've got next. The sixth biggest takeaway of the week, I went ahead and, uh, yeah, took a look at Florida. Florida, man, I was just watching college football live today, and they made a really good point. I mean, Florida used to be one of the better states in college football. Miami, um, you know, they had their their nice era where they were continuing to compete for BCS championships. And then we had Florida when Urban Meyer was there, even uh, when Spurrier, Spurrier was there. I also had Florida State with Bobby Bowden. And at this point, the best team in Florida looks to be UCF, the returning national champions, right? Now, but... With that being said, I mean, Florida, it just looks to me like they're still rebuilding. This is not going to be their year. Uh, I think they're going to need a change at the quarterback position. And Florida typically has some guys on defense that are making plays, but in this loss to Kentucky, man, they just they just didn't look like they've progressed from last year. So I, I still think uh, Mullen's going to have some work to do there over at Florida. It's definitely not going to be a one to two year rebuild. I think in his third year, we're going to begin to see um, the Mullen effect, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, moving along, biggest one of the bigger takeaways from this week, um, which we basically saw in week one, but I didn't want to jump the gun, was USC. And it just looks like they're going to have a long year ahead. Offensively, they're just not—they're not where USC teams in the past have been. Obviously, they took a big hit losing Sam Darnold to the draft. 
Um, offensively, man, it's not even just JT Daniels. It's their running backs as well. You know, there's a lot of, um, I wouldn't say hype, but there's a lot of high expectations for the running backs coming into this year. And in this last game versus Stanford, I mean, uh, both of their top running backs had about 40 to 50 yards, nothing crazy. And, and that's these guys are going to have to put in extra work because at this point in time with JT Daniels at the helm, he's going to need that to, to compensate for his growing pains. Eventually, I believe JT Daniels is going to be a great quarterback for USC, but at this point, it doesn't look like this will be the year. I think there's just there's just so much for him to learn, and and it's it's not going to help with with him having to carry the whole load to bear this whole load, um, especially with the pressure playing at USC that type of program. They are a five star program and. That program has high expectations every year because of the type of talent they bring in. Uh, with that being said, it does look like their defense is uh, somewhat holding it down. Again, talented defense, talented players all over the field, offensively and defensively. Um, I am hoping they can you know, begin to clean things up uh, and eventually we can see them on the big stage again competing for a college football playoff. Uh, but at this point in time, I really don't believe this is going to be their year. Uh, they don't really look very close to competing, uh, you know, with any of the big teams. If if you put them up against any of the big teams in the Big Ten, or in the Big Twelve, or even the SEC, um, they're just not where they need to be just yet. But I do think they're on the right path with these young guys that they have um, over on both sides of the ball. With that being said, uh, the last thing. I went ahead and took from week two is actually Michigan State. Michigan State. And I put a question mark because is Michigan State overrated? A big thing that I saw throughout week one and week two from Michigan State is that their defense really isn't that great as you know, a lot of the analysts hyped them up to and they've been they were so hyped up coming into the season because of how many returning starters they were bringing back. And we haven't really seen that experience on the field. I mean, I'm sure we've seen it in certain plays, but overall, in general, from these past two weeks, week to week, the full body work, it, it just hasn't been there or it just hasn't been to the expectation that we've we've come to see from Michigan State, especially coming off of such a great year. Um, you know, with that being said, it's hard. It's just really hard to say if Michigan State is overrated or if that Arizona State team has just gotten so much better. I think it's me personally, I'm leaning more towards Michigan State being overrated because of the type of team that Michigan, uh, Arizona State has been throughout the past few years. I don't think you make that type of jump over the course of one offseason, even if you bring in Herm Edwards. Um, Michigan State, obviously we're going to need to continue to watch them, continue to see them, especially when they take on some of the bigger teams in conference games. Um, but at this point in time, man, I just don't think they're the team where we were expecting to see coming into the season. Defense doesn't look as strong. Um, some of you may say, oh, well, look at that close game with Arizona State. But, yeah. Once you go back and review that film and take a look at how many uh, missed passes, I believe his name is Manny Wilkins, 
the quarterback for Arizona State, how many missed passes he had in that game. So they're definitely exposed. Uh, there's definitely plays to be made, but Wilkins just missed on, on a handful of them. So coming into you know some of the big games down the road with much better quarterbacks who have more experience against teams such as Michigan State, I don't think they're going to miss those throws. Now, with that being said, um, I still think Michigan State can have a good season, but I, I definitely don't think they're a playoff contender at this point in time. And, you know, those are basically the biggest things I took away from week two. Like I mentioned, if you have any that I've missed that you want me to hear about, I mean, shoot shoot your opinion over to me on Twitter at Just Another Critic or drop a comment here on my YouTube. Uh, with that being said, I actually went ahead and put together a list of the leading Heisman candidates, in my opinion, and we're going to go ahead and close out with that. At this point, after week two, I've got the only man <laughs> that should be at the top of the list after week two, Tua Tagovailoa, and a lot of you may not necessarily agree with that because of you know the type of numbers he has. He's only got about six pass touchdowns, and his yardage just isn't there. But you really got to think about it. He's not throwing that much every single game. He's just so freaking efficient that he doesn't need to throw 40 to 50 times a game. I went ahead and pulled up his stats. He's only thrown 35 pass attempts, completed 25 for a total of six passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Efficiency at his best. He's got a 71% accuracy rate. So... He's just so efficient at this point in time. Obviously, we're going to see more from him when he plays against Ole Miss in week three. But with that being said, yeah, Tua Tagovailoa, I believe he is at the top of the list right now, leading the Heisman candidates. Moving along, we have Will Greer. Um, as you already know, Will Greer is just a beast. The guy is really, really freaking good. He... He gets the ball out of his hands so dang quick that it's it's so hard for defenses to actually get to him. The pass rush is just not getting to him because of how quick his release is. Um, he, he's, at this point in the season, he's got a 76% completion rate. He's got 90, uh, excuse me, 60 attempts, 46 completions for nine touchdowns. Really good statistics. And he's on a winning team, obviously, in the top 25. We've then got Jonathan Taylor. At number three, he's writing uh, right around 400 rushing yards, five touchdowns on the ground. Uh, fourth, went ahead and went with Trace McSorley just because of the type of impact that he makes on his team. Um, he's basically carrying Penn State, basically carrying Penn State on his back, um, not necessarily for his statistics. He, he's got a 50% completion rate, rate and six total touchdowns. I believe he's got three rushing touchdowns, three passing touchdowns. And my last Heisman candidate uh, right now, leading Heisman candidate, is Brett Ripien. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He's over at Boise State. And a lot of you may be thinking, ah, he's at Boise State, dude. They're playing all these crappy teams, da 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 da, da. But the way I look at it, he's in the top 25 with Boise State. Um, as a Heisman candidate, 
you're typically only going to win the Heisman if you're on a winning team. And at this point in time, Boise State, I, I don't see why they can't go undefeated this year. Um, and if this kid continues to put up those numbers, he's definitely going to con- continue to stay on this list and he'll be in New York when that time comes. He's got a 73% completion rate. Um, at this point, he's got 56 attempts, 41 completions for seven touchdowns. Now, as you can see at the bottom of my screen, if you're watching here on YouTube, uh, my two sleepers, first is Drew Locke over at Missouri, 70 attempts, 52 completions for 74, 74% uh, completion rate with eight touchdowns. And then my second guy, um, if Hawaii can actually go undefeated, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in New York as well. This guy is Cole McDonald. I did speak about him last week on my week one takeaways. Cole McDonald, guys, this dude is putting up numbers, putting up video game type numbers. At this point, he's got 111 attempts, 78 uh, completions for a 70% completion rate, 13 passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and over 1,000 passing yards. Yes. All and everything I just said is very real. A total of 15 touchdowns, 70% completion rate, and 1,000 yards in three weeks of football. Obviously, he's not playing the greatest of competition, but still, those numbers are ridiculous. Now, we are going to be able to see them uh, playing some more competitive matches this year. Uh, But with that being said, he's one of the sleepers in if you put up those type of numbers and you're on a winning team, you're definitely going to begin to climb the Heisman talks. Um, but yeah, with that being said, guys, definitely appreciate you guys listening over on the podcast as well as watching here on YouTube. Like I mentioned, if you guys have any opinions, any comments, drop them in the drop them in the comments. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, whatever it may be. With that being said, I appreciate you guys. If you guys agree with Uh, What I went over today, awesome. If you don't, awesome. As you already know, I'm just another critic. And with that being said, you guys have a great rest of your evening. We'll catch you on the next video or the next podcast. Take care. Peace.